Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. We are in session 49 of our study of the book of Revelation. Tonight's uh, session is entitled Rampant Fear and Anxiety. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at themes in the book of Revelation. And the hope here is by studying the same Bible passages over and over, but from different angles, we'd actually learn them in their context within the book of Revelation. And so we use a few Bible verses that aren't in Revelation, kind of in each session, to kind of help connect it to the rest of the Word. But the majority of the verses we're looking at in every single session our book of Revelation verses to help us get a picture of what's happening in the book of Revelation. And as just a little side point tonight, uh, I want to give the biggest why we're doing this study. The Really the biggest why. Really the biggest why we've been studying the end times on Saturday nights for 12 or 13 years. The biggest why is that we would be a people going deep in perhaps the message that matters the most in this generation in connection to the gospel. That this is the message that matters the most to this generation. And it's a, it's a message that there's not a lot of clarity on. And if we're going to get any clarity, we're going to have to stare at it a good long while. And so we're creating the opportunity on Saturday nights to raise up forerunner messengers that understand the hour that we're living in, that understand the importance of Uh, of what Jesus is doing in this hour and how it's unique from every other generation. And then connecting that to our real lives so that we would live differently. The whole purpose of our encounter services and our Saturday night studies is actually to provoke a different lifestyle. Is to provoke a lifestyle that goes, if this is true, I have got to live my life differently than if this wasn't true. If this, was, if this is true in a time frame that I'm going to actually be alive during, then I need to live differently than those that were pious 100 years ago. I need to live differently. I need to be focused on different things, study different things, think about different things, talk about different things, give my life in a way that is different than even the most godly of a generation before us. And so that's the reason that we do these studies is to help make the book of Revelation and the whole end time drama real so that we would actually be able to give our lives to what Jesus said, watch and pray. So with that, let's jump in here. We're actually going to start with some words that Jesus said because remember, tonight's session, we're going to talk about fear and anxiety in the book of Revelation. You could even say in the end time drama. You know, we... This is a subject, actually, that's probably familiar in concept, but not necessarily familiar enough for somebody to be able to go, if you asked them, hey, does the end times have a bunch of fear in it? Yeah. Okay, great. What Bible verses and what, what themes? Uh, you know, bad. Like, lots of it. Bad. Okay, let's do a little better than saying bad two or three times. Let's actually get some clarity on this. And so, I want us to look at the book of Revelation tonight from a, a kind of thematic standpoint of what does Revelation tell us that the final generation will be peppered with all over related to fear and anxiety, okay? Jesus, Revelation, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 21. 
34 through 36, Jesus is describing the final generation, and he's giving us some details that the final generation is going to be marked by. And these things are difficult. These are some toughies. He says this, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. He's talking about the last generation. With carousing, with drunkenness, and your hearts will be weighed down with the anxieties of life. And because you're weighed down with those things, sin and anxiety, that day, talking about the end times, will close on you suddenly like a trap and you will not be prepared for it. You won't be ready. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. 100% are going to have to face this. So then his admonition, so therefore, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape what is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now, I want to just point out the anxiety part. Jesus is talking about the final generation, and it wouldn't be unfair to say that part of what he is alluding to, a significant part of what he's alluding to when he says the anxieties of life, are all the fear verses in the book of Revelation, all the terror verses in the book of Revelation, all the terrifying experiences in the book of Revelation, even if it doesn't use the word terror or fear. Part of what he's pointing out is life is going to be anxious 24-7. There are going to be incredible difficulties in the last days. He said, and if you're not careful, it's going to close on you like a trap. Isaiah 22, verse 5, this is the Lord speaking of the, the end time drama. And many times in the word, if you're not familiar with this, the Lord will refer to the end times as the day of the Lord. That's a, that's a time period, not only a 24-hour period. It's a, it's a season of time. You could call it the Great Tribulation or even the Tribulation or even to some extent the whole generation leading up to his second coming. So here he says in Isaiah 22, the Lord, the Lord Almighty has a day. The Lord has a day. How does he define the day? A day of tumult and trampling and terror in the valley of vision a day of battering down walls and of crying out to mountains this is the holy spirit giving the prophet isaiah revelation about the end times and he's saying if you want a little bit of a picture in just a few uh you know crazy um adjectives all in one you know package here how about this a day of tumult trampling and terror that's a defining parameter of the end time drama. A day of tumult, trembling, terror, trampling rather. Trampling and terror, well, trembling too. I mean, this is a, a really intense season of time. Now, I just put it in there because I want for us to recognize that when Jesus says, be careful or bad things are going to happen to you. He gives us the prescription on how to be careful. And the understood uh, you know, thought process is, if we're careful, then we're not impacted the same way that the lost world is. We're not impacted the same way that the saved world that's not paying attention is. If you're careful, you're treated different. If you're not careful, you're treated same, bad. Okay, But here's the point. Jesus' admonition about being careful was actually in order to help the believer avoid being weighed down with anxieties. 
Now, that doesn't mean get raptured, so then you don't have to face anxious thoughts anymore. It actually means if you are watchful and prayerful, because that's what he says, watch and pray, you will have what it takes internally to not be anxious in the most anxious hour of human history. You will have what you need, the internal equipment, to be able to weather the storm. If you are watchful and prayerful, you will understand what's happening, and you will have the peace of God resting on you. I put in here the Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 promise, because this promise is powerful now, but perhaps will not have an hour in human history where it will be more needed than during the end-time drama. It says this, do not be anxious about anything. Now remember, we just read an end-time verse that said anxiety, anxiousness, is going to rule the day. It says don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about demon locusts. That's right. Don't be anxious about anything, including demon locusts. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Every situation? Yes, that's right. Every situation, like when demon frogs come out of the mouths of the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they're going around the earth to deceive people, don't be anxious then? That's right. Don't be anxious then. But in that moment, in that situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, like, oh God, please don't let the demon frogs come to my house. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This Bible verse is real now. It's real a year from now, and it will be real during the Great Tribulation, and we must understand that. We have access to the peace of God, which transcends understanding. Understanding says this. The anxieties of life are like, whoa. The anxieties of life are too heavy. It's impossible. We're all going to die from just internal fear. If internal fear could kill you, you would die during the end times. Except that we can have the peace of God which transcends all circumstances, all understanding, all situations. And that that peace will guard our hearts. I don't know about you. I like to have peace. I way like it when that peace has been guarded by a very large person who is bigger than whatever assailant is trying to come and take my peace. I very much like it when that peace is guarded, not easily disrupted. When that peace is protected in my mind and in my spirit and in my heart and in my soul. I very much like that kind of peace. And we're promised that kind of peace exists. I can't think of too many Bible verses that I want operating in my life and in the life of my kids and family during the tribulation than the peace of God which transcends all understanding guarding my heart and my mind in Christ. And we're going to need that Bible verse. I, you need that one. You need it now because life's tough. Life is tough at a level one right now. It's going to go to 100. And we need to learn how to operate in the peace of God at level one problems. Otherwise, we are not going to be okay when it comes to level 100. And I'm telling you, level 100 are coming. All right, so now let's talk about what is causing the unrest in the book of Revelation? What's causing the fear? What's causing the anxiety? What can we find in the book of Revelation that we can identify as uh, anxious causers, fear uh, in inducers? Well, we looked at in Revelation 6, when we saw the sky opening up, Revelation 6, 14, top of page 2, the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. When that occurs, when the sky recedes like a scroll, that is going to cause great anxiety for the lost world. We're going to be excited, but I'll tell you what, anybody that hasn't been reading Revelation might be excited in a minute, but they're going to be freaked out of their mind as that's happening, okay? 
There's some of us that are going to be praying for it, all excited, like rooting for the sky. Okay, go ahead, sky. It's time. You go ahead and roll on back. But there's going to be a whole bigger group on the earth that is not prepared for that moment. They're going to be freaked out because it's never happened before, ever. And when that happens, it's going to cause anxiety. There are going to be people freaking out. So I'm going to give you a kind of a step one, two, three, four, five. What happens when that sky rolls back? Well, Matthew 26, 64, talking about what occurs in that moment. It is as you say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. This describes two events. First, seated at the right hand of the Mighty One. Second, coming. First, seated. That's a moment, seated. Next, coming. Coming is second. First, he's seated at the right hand, and that's what they see through the hole in the sky when the sky is rolled back. They see it, and they are going to be freaked out. Actually, when Jesus was giving this admonition in uh, Matthew chapter 26, he's actually kind of freaking out the leadership of, of uh, the, the, the body at that point or uh, of the religious community. And he's saying, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Mighty One, and it's not really going to be all that exciting for you. You're going to be freaked out of your mind when you see that. Next, they're going to call out to the mountains. The very next verse after the uh, Revelation 6.14 that we just read. It says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called out to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That sounds like people who are scared. They're crying out, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They are in terror. They are terrified. You see, Jesus said in the last days, anxieties of life, every form of anxiety, every form of fear is going to be rampant. And you're going to need to be engrossed in the storyline. That's why he said, watch and pray. You can't watch unless you have your eyes open. And having your eyes open in this context means reading eschatology from your Bible, not from other sources and, and getting on weird tangents. Reading what the Bible says about the second coming. Watch. Watch the storyline so that you know it ahead of time so that you're engaged in it instead of surprised by it. Next, they'll hide in caves. I gave you Isaiah 2. A couple of passages in Isaiah 2. People will flee to the caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord. Fearful presence. They'll flee to caverns and rocks and to overhang when he rises to shake the earth. Go to the rocks, hide in the ground for the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. You've got an entire generation that is going to be hiding from the presence of God. The fearful presence of God. That is going to be so intense. And then in the process of this, Everyone's going to mourn at his coming. Revelation 1.7. Look, he's coming with the clouds. This is the second part. Remember, first part is seated at the right hand, and they see him seated at the right hand. Next, which is the second coming, which happens after that first reality, not in the same moment. But next what happens is, look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. Now, you don't mourn, Unless you've got a revelation of what is about to happen, what you've done, what you've not done. If there's fear and anxiety related to that, that's what this mourning moment is. Because they see him. They've already been hiding from his fearful presence. And now he's actually coming. 
Now it's, he's actually on the clouds coming, and they are mourning, they are freaking out, and it says all the peoples of the earth. No mourn. Now that's not the saved, but it's all the non-saved, and there'll be a bunch of them. Revelation 15.4 says this just in a, in a very kind of matter-of-fact sort of a way. In the context of the end-time drama and all that's happening, and especially the second coming of Jesus, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Revelation 15.4. The righteous acts of God have been revealed. The earth trembling in fear. Some turning in repentance, but the, mass, the vast majority, the masses, not turning in repentance, but they are very much fearful of the events that are unfolding, the righteous acts of God. But fear one way or the other. Well, let's talk a little bit about some other specifics. So we just looked at when the, uh, you know, the reality of the sky parting and the, the sky being rolled back like a scroll and all the events connected to that. That's one aspect of fear touching the generation. Let's touch another one. When Babylon falls. Now we're going to spend at least a session on Babylon. It's just a ways down the road. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a snapshot into part of what's occurring here. The Antichrist is not the first global system that's bad that's coming. Before the Antichrist is an equally wicked, but far more clandestine, perverse, but hidden, compromised. She's described as holding a golden cup filled with abominations and idolatry. She's described, golden cup, that's good, but what's inside that golden cup? Filth. But she's disguised the filth in such a way that the world will celebrate the filth. We're heading into a season of time where a global system it's already on the rise. You can see it infiltrating every area of society. Things that were not permissible five years ago, ten years ago, that are now not only permissible but celebrated and promoted and becoming legal and becoming illegal to call it bad to not do that. We are watching the harlot Babylon system already infiltrate the nations of the earth in every area of society. It's already on the rise, but the Babylon is going to wind up becoming a global system that has got interconnectivity of all the nations, economics, religions, everything. It's going to be a global system, and the world will celebrate this system, will love it. But the problem is this system is totally evil. And the world will love it, and the world will hate you for calling it evil. And you will be persecuted greatly because you're going to stand against the system. Well, there's three categories of people that are specifically identified in the book of Revelation in the context of chapter 17 and 18 when Babylon is most described in the book of Revelation. There's three different groups of people that are described as being terror-stricken and mourning and crying out, woe, and they are loathsome. I mean, they're, they're in, a bad, in a bad way when Babylon falls because the Antichrist actually overthrows Babylon and takes control of an entire network he didn't have to build. 
Babylon builds this network over the course of the coming decades. It's already begun now, but it's going to become more and more clear in the coming decades if we're given that long. And there will be a global system. Antichrist is going to come in, destroy Babylon, and completely annex the system. And that's why he's able to rise to power with global infinite influence in a moment. He didn't have to create an infrastructure. He takes one over. He doesn't have to build a global network. He takes over one that's already in existence, that the world is already all wrapped up in economically, religiously, governmentally, all Okay. He jumps in and takes it over, but here's what happens. When Babylon gets destroyed, there are three groups of people that freak out, and these three groups of people are the most powerful leaders on the planet. It's to give us a picture. It will be everybody, but three groups are identified. First, the kings. Bottom of page three, Revelation 18, 9 through 10. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. Here we see the kings. So think presidents, think the, the national you know, governmental leaders of the nations and kings, the kings. Those that are leading the nations, all of them, they are in terror when they witness the overthrow of Babylon. It's not just they're sad because of the negative impact. They're terrified because of the way that it happens. When they watch the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, I mean effortlessly overthrow Babylon in the midst of God overthrowing Babylon, when they watch this happen, they're going to be terrified. Second group, first was kings. Second are the economic leaders. Look at this. This is now just a little bit later in the chapter, 11 through, should be 17, or maybe sure uh, 15. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Here you see the economic leaders. So this isn't the kings. This is the merchants of the earth. Now, just think about John in John's day. There was no such thing as, you know, economists and the global economy and the, the world, you know, trade systems and, and, you know, the stock market. None of those things existed. Entrepreneurs and, and Bill Gates and billionaires. I mean, those things didn't exist. He sees into the future and all he can describe is the merchants who are running the world. <laughs> like the big dog merchants. I don't know how else to call them. They're the merchants. But they're the merchants who are running all the industries. The merchants freak out, and they are terrified at her torment. Terrified. Lastly, the seafarers will be terrified. This is a group that's identified in connection to the sea. And it's actually a number of different industries that are described uh, in this passage. And similarly, they're terrified. They cry out, whoa. They're, they're in a bad way. And so you've got this, this will, prob this will include even the naval forces of militaries. It, it says it specifically. It says, you know, the, oh, where is it? The, 
Well, anyway, it's there. Go look at it. Um, in uh, the tail end of Revelation 18, it describes all the different uh, groups related to the sea and all of that they're going to be terrified. Now, why do I bring that up? Because you're talking about the kings, the economic leaders, and if you guys haven't figured this out, a good percentage of our planet is wet. And so all the industries that are connected to wet, that's like a lot, okay? You've got the planet not just mourning, but terror-stricken. They're terrified because of what's coming. All right, keep going. Part four, when hell is opened up. Revelation 9, 1 through 2. I want us to understand what's going to happen when the trumpet judgments begin to get released. Speaking specifically to trumpet number five. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. It's talking about an angel that gets to unlock the abyss. When he opened the abyss, that's hell. When he opened hell, you can't open hell. Yeah, hell's going to get opened to the earth like a door. There's a door to hell. And it's going to get opened by an angel sent by God. Smoke from the abyss rose like the smoke of a gigantic furnace and the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. I'm not going to go into all the details of what occurs here. I'm just going to give you kind of a one, two, three. But when hell is opened up to planet earth for the first time, that's never happened before. That door has never been opened before. That's a door you don't want opened ever. And we've been lucky enough to not have that door opened yet. But we are promised by the word of God that door is going to be opened because God actually has specific purpose. Once that door is opened, there's a bunch of stuff that's going to come out of that door. There's a bunch of stuff. And that stuff is actually being released to judge the wicked on the earth. First thing that happens... The earth is going to be filled with the demonic in a way that we have, we, we can't even compare to anything. The worst horror movie you've ever seen does not touch what's going to occur. But it's worse than that because in the horror movies, all the people are running away from whatever demon is in the movie. The problem with the scenario we're going to enter into is the world will be building covenants with the demons instead of running away from them. Look at this. Revelation 9, 21, after the abyss is opened. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the works of their hands, and they did not stop worshiping demons. Worshiping demons. Not they've got a little, you know, bad attitude, a little bit bad spirit about them. Worshiping demons. Who is this? Surely this is just a few people. No, it's 100% of the people that didn't die by plagues. They're worshiping demons. Idols of gold, silver, bronze, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual morality, or their thefts. You're talking about a culture that is actually going to embrace what comes out of hell instead of run away from it like it's a bad thing. You're talking about a culture that is going to embrace those demons and worship them and no doubt draw strength from them in very nefarious ways. Well, what comes out of that pit? What's one thing that we know comes out of that pit? 
demon locusts. Look at this, Revelation 9, 7 through 10. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. There's going to be so many come out of there, millions and millions and millions. We don't know how many, probably hundreds of millions of demon locusts are going to come out of that pit. These aren't locusts. They're not just demons. They're demon locusts, and they can fly and they can sting, and when they sting, that sting torments somebody for five months and actually prevents them from being able to commit suicide. You go read the passage. They can't die. People will want to die and not have the capacity to die. Tormented for five months. That's what comes out of hell. These are not helicopters. I just want to make that real clear. The next thing, and I just want to say this, that will be the most terrifying event in human history. There will, there's nothing that compares to that. <laughs> Demon locust, and you look at it and you see it coming. It's like, that is a freaky looking critter. And it's coming because it says it's got women's hair. And it's got like a face that looks like a man, sort of, but it's all gnarly and, and it's got a stinger and it's a locust and it can fly. It's terrifying. And it's got a hundred million friends. And they're all going around and everybody's going to know that this happened. It's going to be a real problem. It's going to be terrifying. Thank you, Jesus, that the redeemed will have the seal of the Lord by this point that we studied a couple uh, sessions ago. Next, the only thing that's worse then demon locusts that sting you for five, in five months, their power in the stinger and you can't die and all that, that's the worst thing ever. Nothing has ever happened anything near that bad. Something worse happens the next day. It's not the next day. It's a little bit of time down the road. Some months later, probably. Something worse than that happens, and that is 200 million demon horsemen riding on demon horses. 200 million come up out of hell. This is not an army from China. This is a demon army coming out of the abyss, which God commissioned an angel, go unlock the abyss. They want demons? We'll give them demons. That's what's happening here. They want a fellowship with demons? We'll let them play all day long. And this next group of demon horsemen they're not coming to torment. It says they will kill a third of the population in a very short period of time. They will kill one third of the human population at that time in a very short period of time. This is going to be terrifying. These are terrifying events. The book of Revelation is, it gives a very clear picture of anxiety, fear, and terror. Next category, God's messengers proclaiming his words. Look at this. The woe angel. Revelation 8.13, I watched and I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts that are about to be sounded by the other three angels. Can you just imagine, as a lost person, this angel that looks like an eagle, which isn't odd, really, because one of the faces of the living creatures is the face of an eagle. So if that living creature has a little brother and he doesn't have all the other faces, he's just got the eagle face, whatever. My point is, this is an angel or something. It's an angel something, angel eagle, all right? This angel eagle 
is flying in the air, and he doesn't say, greetings. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the world is in torment. Because everyone hears and feels the woe. Just him saying it causes terror. Just hearing this angel, I mean, just know this angel, he's got one speaking part in all of human history. He's getting ready now. He's practicing his woes in the shower. All right? He's going to get this right. It's going to freak everybody out of their mind. All right? And it will. Just hearing the trumpet sounds, just hearing them, the lost world, hearing a trumpet from heaven. What's that? What's that sound? Why is heaven trumpeting? What is that? I don't like this. Whatever that is, is not good. Why doesn't heaven just stay quiet? We liked it when it was quiet for 30 minutes. What is this trumpet sound business? And especially after one has happened and now they understand the pattern, oh no. Trumpet sound equal bad day. Bad, bad day. And they hear the trumpet sound. I'm telling you, this is psychological terror. And it's intentional. I mean, this is like the trumpet sounds of the warriors going into battle, all the noise and the ruckus and the beating of the drums in order to intimidate the enemy. These trumpet blasts will terrify the lost of the earth. When the two witnesses rise from the dead, that's going to give the guys that were thinking they just got the upper hand a real hard fit. Look at this. Revelation 11, 11. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. They stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Terror. They're like, we just got rid of these guys. Just won't die. They rise and terror strikes them because they realize we are in so much trouble. It took us three and a half years to get them dead. And then they took a nap for three and a half days and now they're alive again. I am confident this gets worse. Whatever happens after this is going to be worse for us, not better. They just rose from the dead. It says terror struck those that saw. The angel declaring the eternal gospel. If this is a new idea, God is going to send another angel. This angel is going to preach the gospel to the whole planet. He's going to fly around the earth. It says he's going to touch every people, nation, tribe, and language. He's going to get the gospel out. And just in case somehow somebody didn't hear it before, this angel is going to go and do loop-de-loops around the earth and is going to proclaim the gospel. But here's what it says. We actually don't hear what he says. It just says he's going to he holds the eternal gospel. He's proclaiming the eternal gospel. We don't actually know what words he says. The only line we're confident that he says is the quoted line here, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. The only thing we're sure this angel says directly is fear God and the earth will fear God. Let's keep going. Fear because of the, the end time plagues. Revel uh, sorry, uh, Luke 21, and then we'll break up into groups here in just a minute. Luke 21, 26, this is Jesus. People will faint from terror. Can you imagine fainting from terror? 
so terrifying. You're just gone. People will. People will faint from terror, apprehensive, anxious of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. There's a coming a time when people will be so afraid of what happens next. And part of the reason they're afraid of what happens next is they're really clear on what happened yesterday. Because there will be, a, there'll be a trend. Just to give you a few of these, when the beasts run rampant, Revelation 6, 8, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and the wild beasts of the earth. When the wild beasts of the earth, when it's no longer shark attacks, it's dolphin attacks. When we're no longer talking about, you know, two cats in the front yard fighting, we're talking about a cougar and a wolf, and they're fighting only long enough to make enough noise for you to come outside so that they can get whoever came outside. There's going to be fear. There is going to be terror resting on the earth as a result of these, uh, the wild beasts. Next, Revelation eleven thirteen, talking about the collapse of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, by the way, is only going to become more important of a city as the coming decades unfold. It's only going to grow in, in population and in importance and in economic significance. Jerusalem has a significant place in the end time drama and in the heart of God forever. So I want you to imagine a bigger version of Jerusalem, not the current size version of Jerusalem. It says at that very hour there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. And in that moment, 7,000 people were killed by the earthquake. And the survivors were terrified. And they gave glory to the God of heaven. They were terrified. God's actually going to use that earthquake as part of the way to bring Jews to Jesus. It's part of the way he's going to do it. When the trumpets and the bowls are released, just look at this. Revelation 16, 10 through 11, then we'll break up into groups. Its kingdom was plunged into darkness. It's talking about the earth. And people gnawed their tongues in agony and they cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. Fearful, agonizing, painful. Here's my point today. I want us to understand the book of Revelation paints a very clear picture about the anxiety and the, the terror that is promised to the last generation where we've got a few verses, and again, I think everybody would go, yeah, we understand end times is going to have some fearful events. The book of Revelation actually unpacks with clarity what those events are. It gives us details of what those kinds of things are, what those trip-up points are, and, uh, and where that difficulty is going to be. But again, I remind us, there is such a thing as the peace of God which transcends all understanding that guards the heart and the mind of the believer if we participate in the process. Okay, so what is the abyss and uh, why are demon locusts coming out of it? Um, okay, so, uh, so currently, if someone dies and goes to hell, they're going to the abyss. It's described as being in the belly of the earth. Uh, I don't have the references available at this moment, but you can go and research that, do a little Bible gateway uh, on your own. The location of Sheol, the location of hell, location of Hades is within the earth. It's described as in the earth. And so uh, it's a place of torment. It's a, it's a prison. And it's bad, but it's not as bad as it gets. 
because as bad as hell is, with all the darkness being the primary uh, definition of what's occurring there, um, it gets much worse because at the end of the millennial period, the abyss, or hell, is thrown into the lake of fire. And so now instead of its primary uh, uh, point of demarcation being darkness and despair, now it's actually on fire uh, forever. And so the, the place of eternal torment is actually going to be uh, the lake of fire. Uh, but it says in uh, Revelation, I believe it's 21, uh, that, that all these things are thrown into the lake of fire. And so uh, hell is thrown into the lake of fire at a later date. So uh, right now, the abyss is a place that has been reserved for uh, the, the devil and his forces. And so as far as the physical placement of where the, uh, the demonic realm is bound, there's these dungeons and prisons. There's a couple passages, I believe, in Second Peter that describe uh, some of the realities of what the abyss is. It's a, it's a prison for demons. So it wasn't created for man. Uh, but if people uh, don't give their lives to Jesus, then they go there. Uh, but it wasn't created for them. And so what you have here is this, when this abyss is opened up, you've got all manner of demonic forces and ranks that are inhabiting hell that when it's opened up, now they've got access to get out. You just got to imagine if they've been sitting there for a long, long time, not enjoying the dark pit, uh, they are anxious to get up out of there. And a lot of them do. Now, we don't know. Does everything come out of hell? Does 50% come out? We don't know. But we do know two groups clear that come out, and that is the horde of demonic locusts and the horde of uh, demonic horsemen. So great question. Yeah, great question. Okay, so uh, let's read it. Uh, Revelation eleven thirteen 13 um, says, At that very hour there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Okay, the question was, so does that mean 100% of the people that are there uh, wind up giving their lives to Jesus? This is a very um, overlapping moment because I believe this is the same earthquake as the earthquake that occurs in Revelation chapter 16 that is the earthquake that it says it causes the cities of the nations to collapse. And so we're at the end of the tribulation period when this occurs, okay? The rapture's already happened before this. A third of the earth died in one plague. A fourth of the earth died in another plague. Antichrist has made Jerusalem his headquarters. Uh, you, you've got a lot going on there. The, the uh, battle for Armageddon has already rallied the, uh, the troops to the, uh, the valley of Megiddo. And so there's a significant number of details that overlap to make the population of Jerusalem at that moment a very, very, very different scenario than it is currently. Now, does that mean 100% of them get saved? I, I'm, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, that's how I read it. But are there details that we don't yet know? I'm confident. But one thing that we do know is there are a significant number of details related to what's going on at that particular moment that actually 
uh, greatly impact the number of the population within Jerusalem at the timing of this earthquake. So, uh, so maybe there's only 7,000 left and they're all Jewish resistors, maybe. I don't know. Is that what's happening there? I honestly have not gotten all that thought through. Uh, but I would say that a key uh, to your study, if you want to go and look at it and spend some time, uh, would be the overlapping realities that impact the population of the city at that moment. So great question. That's a, that's a good question. I've never thought of it before. So how can we start being rooted in the peace of God now, knowing what's coming and recognizing that it's, it's probably uh, a bit naive to think that we're going to be able to make some massive jump from currently freaked out when I turn on the news to total peace of God with demon locusts flying around. You know, it's a bit of a, bit of a leap, okay? Uh, part of what we have on our side is uh, Revelation 19 that describes the bride has made herself ready. I promise you, Jesus will not have a frady cat for a woman, okay? And so uh, the, the church is in the process of maturity but actually what's incredible, when you look at all this, you just see the Lord working. Like, he brings judgment on the earth by opening hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you, you seeing the nuances of God, the ways that he gets his stuff done? The way the church will become ready for Jesus is the difficulties of the period of the birth pangs and then the great tribulation. So actually, the way that we prepare is we face minor struggles now, like COVID-19, and we figure out how to cope. And we get our wits about us so we don't freak out and we remember the kingdom of God still marches forward in the midst of global pandemic. The kingdom of God first, natural problems second. And we, but we don't think that way naturally. Naturally, we think global pandemic, let's shut everything down, including the gospel. Let's shut the church down. Let's shut the kingdom down. Everything's on pause. And God's like, no, no. I said, go and make disciples of all nations. And then pandemic or no pandemic, I told you to go. I told you to go be the church. So what's actually happening right now in the earliest of early, early stages of the period of the birth pangs is we're having COVID-19 disciple us how far off base our theology is identify to us how wrong we process life and the kingdom of God and the assignment that was given out of the mouth of Christ. And what happens is we do it wrong on the pop quiz, COVID-19. We do it wrong. And we, we look at how we did on the test and we go, I'm not real proud of how we handled this. How do we do better next time? And the Lord says, oh, I'm glad you asked because there's way more coming. COVID-19 is the baby sister of what's coming next. And that's the baby sister of what's coming after that and after that. It, what, what is coming is going to be increasingly more difficult. So what's actually going to be happening is as the difficulties increase, so will the resilience of the church. A and things like knowing how to handle situations, but also knowing how to navigate our own arts. So that you just imagine if we get through, you know, COVID-19 through as in like if it actually ends and it's over, which maybe will never happen, but if it does... If COVID-19 happens again, just like it did, it's COVID-22. If COVID-22 happens in two years, we won't respond as knee-jerk as we did the first, because we'll, yeah, we did this. We know we got a little bit on this one. We understand a little bit. So part of the discipleship process is actually the church being exposed to lesser difficulties that will incrementally grow, that will increase, so that the church can respond in knowing how, how do I have joy in the midst of crisis? 
How do I have peace in the midst of turmoil? How do I trust God? How do I have faith when people are losing their jobs? How do I this? How do I that? In lesser problems to work the muscle so that as the problems increase, uh, so does our response uh, appropriately. So that's, that is what's going to happen. And, and truthfully, the crisis, the lesser crises, crises, crisis, the lesser ones are going to actually cause some to fall away from God. They're going to look at the lesser problems and they're going to go, I don't like a God who can let COVID-19 happen. I'm out. Or I don't like what COVID-19 is requiring of me and I'm going to give myself to carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. I'm just going to go ahead and get an early start on it. I'm just going to go ahead and, and jump into drunkenness. I'm going to go ahead and be, you know, one that escapes now. And, and there are going to be a, a great many that are going to turn away from the Lord, but there's also going to be a number of lost. They're going to see the exact same pressures and they're going to go, I don't want to handle this by my own, by myself. I'm going to go find the church somewhere and I'm going to run with people that love Jesus because that seems like a smarter plan than trying to do this on my own. So the crisis will have the will have the effect in both ways, uh, in, in strengthening and also testing the resolve of both the lost and the saved. So, excellent question. <laughs> the locusts that are coming out of hell, how big are they? I don't know. Bigger, not smaller. Yeah. I, I would tend to, to be in that thought process for the same reason that when you look at, like, the living creatures and the the uniqueness of their form and shape. You don't imagine them as a two-foot-tall living creature. You know, it's like you imagine these living creatures as somewhat large. You know, and it even gives some, some descriptions that hint at that. I, I think that the, the demon locusts are probably bigger than a grasshopper. You know, I think they're, I think they're big, but it's, it's speculation. Uh, you know, I... I Maybe they all show up and they're that small, you know, and maybe the, their, their ranks uh, were like, uh, you know, um, horses marching into battle was more describing the way that they were aligned, the way that they, they came out in, in ranks and rank and file. Maybe that's more than it was even their, their shape. I don't know. Uh, but it, it tends to me because of the amount of detail and because of the, the information that we have about uh, demons Nothing anywhere can I point to demons being that small. So I, I, I would tend to believe that they are bigger. Um, so, yeah. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.